I like that prayer, Kobe. I appreciate you voicing for us what I hope is the heart of our church and all of us here today, and that is that we we would live like these things are true. You know, we have had this discussion. I know most of us, if not all of us here, recognize the fact when we talk about the name of Jesus, we're not talking about that somehow the J-E-S-U-S has power, that when you say that name, it makes things happen that don't normally happen. We're talking about the character of God revealed in Jesus, the characteristics that define who he is, the holiness of Christ, the weightiness of, of who he is. That, that transforms the hearts of people when they see it, that, that has caused us to respond in faith, to trust our lives and put our, put our lives in his hands and put our eternity in his hands. It's that kind of weightiness that the name of Jesus or the character or characteristics of, or the glory of Christ holds for us and for our community. Uh, so, man, I love that prayer that God make these things uh, let us live like these things are true. Help us to to demonstrate that in the way that we live our lives, right? And so many, I mean, I just, first of all, let me thank you guys for singing this morning. I mean, you sang like you meant it. Now, you might not have, but you sang like you meant it. You sounded like you meant it. Um, and it's just beautiful to me when the, when the music uh, got down at the end and we were singing that, what a powerful name it is. And and I could hear the voices of our people singing out, and, you know, you guys singing. Uh, man, that, if you didn't mean it, I meant it, and that just enhanced my worship this morning to hear, you, hear your voices, other than Jeff's voice. I could hear his, too. But. Actually, he's not in here, so that was a joke that they didn't even get taken. Uh, so, yeah, that's, man, it's beautiful to, to begin to understand the character of, of Christ, and, and we're trying desperately to, to dig into Scripture with that thought in mind. This past week, we, Delight and I got an opportunity to go and be a part of a World Religions Conference up in, uh, what, where did we go, babe? Florence, Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati, really was Cincinnati is where we stayed, you know, it's, it's yeah, we, we went in and out of Kentucky a thousand, I mean, out of, yeah, Kentucky a thousand times because we stayed by the airport, which is right there, so it's not that I was on drugs all week and can't remember what we were doing. I, I do remember I uh, just, just forgot the location, but yeah, Florence, Kentucky. So we went to this World Religions Conference and, you know, heard a lot of things. Uh, some of it was very dogmatic in, in the approach of, you know, uh, of uh, apologetics, you know, get in the face of people, argue them down, and then belief will come. And I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't feel like that's the approach for us as a church. I feel like, you know, for for the millennials, gener- millennial generation, the people we're trying to reach, uh, I think that is not an effective approach. And so I didn't really like that, you know, but there was also people at the conference that really said some really strong things. And one of the things that was said uh, in reference to how we do apologetics, uh, it was a conference on secular humanism, and the, the speaker said, you can't think your way into believing and a lot of times our approach to trying to evangelize the world is we are arguing with people who think differently than we do, thinking that if we can change their thinking, then we could change their believing. And he says that doesn't happen because believing happens in our heart. 
And what has to happen is we need to change, we need to allow God to use us to bring about change in believing so that people's thinking will change. Because believing forms your thinking. And if there's, if there's anything else I learned this week, that was true. In every scenario, in every religion, what you believe affects the way you think and the way you act, operate and act in life, right? All of you know that if you evaluate yourself that way. What you really believe makes its way into how you think and how you operate, how you behave. And so, you know, I can't, couldn't help but come back to what God is doing at the gathering place. And, and right now in this sermon series of us going through the Gospels and asking the question, who was Jesus so that we can be affected by who he is and our belief will be affected by who he is in such a way that it changes the way we think and the way we behave. Ultimately, it also reveals Jesus to the world around us. When we are acting out of a heartfelt belief and understanding things that we've discovered not only by uh, preaching and teaching and thinking, but that we've discovered in our experience as God has grabbed our hearts and given us experiences with him to reveal the truth of who he is. When that kind of change happens in our hearts, man, it starts making its way into the way we think about life and the way we do life. Does everybody get that? Y'all with me say, oh, yeah. All right. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're not just doing these studies so that we can come up with some cool ideas about, you know, ways to interpret what the Bible says. We are asking ourselves, who is Jesus? Because, you know, Philip was with Jesus three years, and in the last moments with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Philip asked Jesus, he said, show us the Father and then it will be enough. And Jesus says, how long will I be with you and you don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we're asking the question, have we really really seen Jesus or for us, uh, the, the spirit form of Jesus that lives inside of us? How long will... God's spirit live inside of us and we don't know who he is because we don't walk in his ways. We don't see evidence of him moving and working in our lives consequently because obedience leads to God's activity in our lives and, and God's exclusive revelations of his person to us. And so we, we need to continue to walk in the Lord, to abide in Christ and, and discover God like people were discovering him in the New Testament. As he walked about, wherever he went, you know, because he's walking by, we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the, the man uh, who was blind from birth, because Jesus was walking by and Jesus saw him, lives were transformed. And we're going to continue to see the effects of that even today as we move into the story of Lazarus and being raised from the dead. Great story. I'm not going to read the whole story. I am eventually going to read the whole story. But I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm going to work my way through it today. But you guys are familiar with the story. So Jesus uh, is, is being, uh, basically, they're about to be stoned to death for healing the man born blind and all the ramifications that came as a result of that. And, they, and he does a, a, a voodoo act and disappears. And he's gone. Not really voodoo. Don't take me literally. But he does this disappearing act, and he's gone. 
He somehow gets out of this, and everybody, the crowd is ready to stone him, and he disappears. And he goes to Perea, where he begins to preach the gospel, and people begin to respond to that. And, and then he gets news that Lazarus, his great friend who he loved, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is, is ill to the point of, of dying. And Jesus responds to that. And his response to that is that he ultimately shows up uh, back in Bethany where, he was, where his life had been threatened. He goes back there and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And, and in that scenario, uh, this whole story, as we walk through it, you'll see the beauty of how Jesus reveals to us that he is the resurrection and the life. We're going to see that today. And I hope that you will get in your mind some dead things <laughs> in your life. Man, God has brought some dead things to life for me this past week. He's brought some dead things, some things in my life that are dead, that are still there, or they're not quite dead, and he's brought them to the point of death. Because it's, it, it, until we're good and dead, the resurrection that Christ has for us, the resurrection life, that he has to offer us is not going to find its way into our lives either in those corners and nooks and crannies of our lives where we are refusing to die. So let's walk through this text together and uh, see if we can find out what it means when we say that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11 is our passage. We'll start with verses 1 through 3. And again, we'll just walk through the text today. John 11, 1 to 3. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So stop. Let's make this clear. These people were loved by Jesus. Jesus loved to go to Mary, to Mary and Martha's house. Uh, he had everything he needed taken care of, one sitting at his feet, one serving him like crazy, right? Uh, Jesus often goes to, to Bethany when he wants to find a, a place of reprieve and rest. And so he goes to, he loves them. He loves, and, and the scripture's clear here, Lazarus, whom he loved, is ill. But these people were also, uh, also loved Jesus. So there, there's love in this story, and I want us to see that at the beginning because it comes at the beginning, and I think it's a significant phrase for us to understand that they loved Jesus with everything that they had, and he loved them with everything that he had. So make no mistakes. There's a deep, deep love relationship. Everybody with me? All right. So what would Jesus do when someone he loves is sick and calling for him? Here's a question that you need to be asking about yourself. You know, some, it, 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 we need this answer today about where is Jesus in the time of sickness, in the time of uh, severe illness, in the times of cancer, and people that he loves and that love him uh, are at the point of death. Where is Jesus? Don't we need that answer today? And so we need to understand who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, no surprises here. Jesus is, uh, is doing what Jesus does. 
He immediately knows the will of the Father regarding this. That this death is for, that this illness is ultimately going to glorify God. So no surprises here. He does what he does. He consults the Father who knows the purpose of this illness. And then he acts, as always, in connection with what the will of the Father is. Everybody with me? Jesus never acts outside of the will of God. We know that. So this illness is not unto death. It's for the glorification of the Father. Now, it presents a new challenge for us. Considering that his friend, who he loved, is ill. And that Jesus has the power to heal him. We've already seen that. So there's an important lesson for us here. Jesus loves us even in sickness and trouble. In tr- in sickness and trouble. So listen to what he says in verses 5 to 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He makes that point again. Don't be confused, people. (laughs) Jesus loves them, all right? So he says it again. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now we've had fun with this before because that sounds like a contradictory statement, doesn't it? Jesus loved them. I want you to know that. So, that little word means he's talking about, in reference to what I just said, there was an action. In reference to the fact that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus so deeply and was loved by them so deeply, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. John reminds us that what Jesus is doing is consistent with his character, that he is acting out of love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, as he always does, he acts out of, he's consistent in his character. He always acts out of love, but also in connection with the will of the Father. The love of God and the actions of God are always in concert with one another. Don't be confused about that. It feels like at times that that the way that God is acting towards us is not a demonstration of his love, but you can't separate the two. And and the the author is trying to help us understand clearly that these things, Two things are are in concert with one another. You can't any more separate these characteristics of God from each other than you could separate God from himself. This is who he is. Letting Lazarus die was the will of God, and it was the most loving thing that Jesus could do, even though it was not logical. And though Mary and Martha would have had Jesus come and reveal himself again as the healer in this situation... The father had a different plan for this illness. It was a bigger plan. They didn't know it at the time. It was a more significant truth that that Jesus wanted to reveal about himself that we have the privilege today to see in the character of Christ, in the person of Christ, because Jesus did what the father told him to do. So, verse 7 to 10. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews... We're just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. All right, so remember, in response to Jesus' messianic claims after he heals this man born blind and all the questions were asked and the interviews were done and the the uh, uh, 
research had been done. The Pharisees were attempting to stone Jesus. That was their response. Bethany was only two miles from Jerusalem. But Perea was a safe 10-hour journey away from Jerusalem. So the disciples are saying, listen, just now we left, you know, just a a couple of weeks ago, we, we left Bethany where you were about to be stoned to death and you want to go back over there. And though the disciples wanted Jesus to reveal himself again as an escape artist, they wanted him to reveal himself again as the one who's speaking, been speaking the word now in Perea with power and getting great results. They would rather have had him stay where he was and encounter him in the ways that they encountered him. Again, Jesus had a greater thing to, to reveal about himself. So verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. This was in, uh, yeah. And he went again across the Jordan to the place This is chapter 10, verse 39. I'm sorry, I'm just reading the the passage that's tied to um, Jesus' escape and him speaking the word with power. This is where he was. He went again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing first, at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. But Jesus was not concerned with what would happen because he was walking in the will of the Lord. He wasn't concerned about what's going to happen to me because if God says go, if I'm supposed to live in this, uh, in this town, if I'm supposed to live through this scenario, then that's God's will and I'm good with it. If I'm supposed to die, then it's God's will and I'm good with it. And so Jesus makes this statement. If walking in the light of the Father's will is going to lead to death, then so be it. Jesus was ready. But he was not going to stumble outside the Father's will for fear of what man could do to him. The safest place, church, for us to be is in the Father's will. We need to see that in Christ. We need to learn that. We need to embrace that about Jesus and his character, is that wherever the Father's will is the best place to be. It doesn't always feel that way, and, and particularly when things seem to be falling apart and uh, all around us, and God's activity doesn't seem to be consistent with what we understand to be good. We need to realize that the safest place to be is in the Father's will. So whatever's going on with you, so many of us tend to, in times of trouble, to run away from God rather than run to God. Ask God what he's doing. Ask God what he wants you to do. Walk in his will. Though Jesus' life was threatened and people were looking to kill him, ultimately he was not touched. Nothing happened to him when he goes to Bethany. To, heal, to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now we do know, however, that Jesus ultimately would set his face toward Jerusalem, even though he knew that there would be death waiting for him, that dying was a reality and was God the Father's will, and he walked in that as well. And that was the best place for him, and it's the best place for us, walking in the will of the Father. Look at verses 11 through 16 now, John 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. So Jesus does what he does. He tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm going 
uh, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his, to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> they just don't hear it, right? They don't hear it the first time, they don't hear it the second time. They, they just, they have set in their minds what's going to happen. But Jesus, he, he's, he tells the disciples what the purpose of Lazarus', Lazarus resurrection would be. He says, I, I, so that you guys will believe that I am the resurrection and the life. We're, we're going, to, he has died, and I'm glad that, he's, that we haven't gone there, that he hasn't been healed, because now it has another purpose. And that is that you guys may believe that I'm the resurrection and the life. It's weird that Jesus would say that he's glad that his friend that he loved died. But there's purpose in it. There's a greater purpose that, that Jesus wants to reveal about himself, and that is that he is the resurrection and the life, and so he says that. And we don't always get to know the purpose of God's activity. Church, you know that. We don't always get to know the purpose of, of God's activity, but in this case, Jesus reveals it to his disciples, and there are times that God will reveal as we stay connected to him in the midst of tragedy and problems, that God will reveal to us that he is bringing life out of something dead. That he's, bringing, that he's helping us to get to the end of something in our lives that we've held on to for years, some dead something that's beginning to stink because it's been in us for so long. And he's coming to, to bring life out of that. that it, he's coming to get us to the end of that in our lives. And we, and we can understand that. But ask God what he's doing. Look, if, if you have tragedy in your life, make good use of it. We've had this discussion before. But make good use of it if you have problems. Ask God, what are you doing? Let's work together. Let's get the stank out. Right? All right, John 11, 19 to 21. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, this is a true statement, right? It's a true statement. Jesus apparently knew that if he came... He would have been tempted to move out of love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He knew. Jesus knew. And, and as I was thinking about this this past week, you know, this is truth. It's in the Word of God. Mary said it. If you had come, he would not have died. And that is a true statement. And I believe that's why, one of the reasons why Jesus stayed in Perea for two more days. It's because as much as he wanted to go and heal his friend Lazarus, he knew that God had a bigger plan. And so he walks in the Father's plan. And, and I think there's a lesson here for us to see just in the, in, the, in the example of Christ how we need to handle temptation in our lives. You know, the Scripture's clear about what we do when temptation comes. None of us are exempt from it. We are all going to be tempted to walk outside the will of God. That's coming. And if you determine in your heart to walk in the will of God, you need to know that Satan is determined to get you out of his will. But what does Jesus do? Scripture says that, first of all, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to withstand, but with every temptation, he will provide what? A way of escape. Jesus is taking the way of escape. He always took the way of escape. Jesus never fell to temptation. He always took the way of escape, and he's taking the way of escape here by saying, I'm going to stay in Jerusalem for two more days. Because I'm going to accomplish the Father's will, and I'm not going to go and walk in the face of and, and be tempted to 
fall. I'm, I'm going to handle this temptation this way. I'm going to stay here. And so he stays. Verse 22. But even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Listen, Martha knew the truth about the prayers of Jesus. We talked about this a while back, you know, how Jesus prays for us. And when Jesus prays, he always prays in concert with the will of God. It was interesting to me this morning that one of the verses that we read talked about that. That God wants us to understand that this Holy Spirit cries out in groanings that we can't understand. He is praying according to the will of God for us. Always praying according to the will of God. And every time the Holy Spirit speaks a prayer, that prayer will be answered because it's always consistent with the will of God. And so the same thing is true about Jesus. And she knew, Jesus, if you pray a prayer, this can happen. Whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I know that. She knew the, 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 about the prayers of Jesus. She meant, I've understood the reason that the Father answered all the prayers exactly the way he, uh, as he requested. But she knew that when Jesus prayed, something was going to happen. And in this case, Jesus already knew the Father's will, so he proclaims it to Martha. Listen, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, wait a minute. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Look, it was important that Martha not only understand what the facts were about the resurrection, but now it's important that that Martha make a transition from mere facts to the reality of who Jesus is. Not only is there a fact that there's going to be a resurrection because it's been prophesied and spoken about in the, in, the, in the book, but she needs to make the transition to see that these facts are more than facts. You're about to experience the reality of resurrection, and that's me. I am the resurrection. She's fixing to make a transition. Jesus is fixing to help her make a transition from mere facts into the reality of who he is. Does that sound familiar? I hope so, church. Right? Man, that's what abiding is. It's us taking the facts of the Bible and walking in the commandments of God as he leads us by his Holy Spirit day in and day out and coming to discover the reality of who God is. Everybody with me? That is abiding. That's the essence of what we are to do as disciples is just understand the will of God, obey what he says, Discover the reality of who he is as he reveals himself to us. There's no greater truth than that. Jesus is helping Martha to understand and to move from just mere facts that she understands about what the resurrection is and going to be to who the resurrection is. We need to make that transition. Life experiences bring facts to life. There's a lot of believers that are content just to know the facts. But at the gathering place, we're determined to know the person. Y'all with me say, oh yeah. Isn't that true? We want to know the person behind the facts. So Jesus is giving her that. Look at verse 28. 
When she said, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha met him, remember, outside the village. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died again. True statement. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come, who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Sorry, I lost my spot. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Listen, the events are happening exactly the way the Father wanted them to happen. These events are not random. Everything that's happening in this story are happening exactly the way the Father would have them happen so that the revelation of Jesus being the resurrection and the life could be real not only to Mary and Martha and obviously to Lazarus, but to the Jews who were in the house grieving with Mary and Martha. Martha goes to get Mary and speaks to her privately. Why? So that when Mary got up, nobody knew where she was going. I think it was done because the Jews followed her. I mean, the Scripture says that. That because she whispers into Mary's ear what's going on, and Mary gets up and walks out. Now the Jews are, are wondering, is she going to the tomb? So they follow her, and there's a reason for that. If Jesus had come into Bethany, they would most likely have not stayed in Mary's house for fear of the Pharisees who would, who would have stoned Jesus to death just two weeks earlier. And Jesus was wanting these Jews to hear the truth about who he was. They had heard all kinds of, had all kinds of speculations about who he was, and they definitely had the blind man's testimony and the weak testimony of his parents and those, views, those few Jews that did believe in him because of that, that uh, miracle that he performed two weeks earlier. But they also had the Pharisees breathing down their throats and beginning to say that if any of you say that he is the Christ, you will be stoned to death. And so, man, they're, and, you know, that, that causes you to struggle a little bit with what you believe when what you believe might end up getting you stoned to death, right? And so it might be a little easier for us to compromise a little bit and just say, you know, it was pretty cool, but we don't really know what happened. Kind of like Mary Martha said, I mean, uh, not Mary Martha, like his parent, the blind man's parents said, he's of age, ask him, right? And how many times do we do that? And we miss the opportunity to see that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. When Jesus is present, he's showing up, and there's, and there's a word that he's, something he's revealing about ourselves, and we have an opportunity to not only live it, but speak it, to walk in the reality of who he is. And then to share that with somebody else is that we are so scared of what people are going to think, or we're, we're scared that, that it's not going to re, the results are not going to be the way we want them to be, and so we don't walk in them. And so Jesus wants these Jews there. So he doesn't go all the way in to see Mary. He sends Martha in, or Martha goes in, and Jesus stays where he is. 
And Mary comes out, and so do the Jews. And I, I, I love that about this passage. I love also that Jesus was moved to tears because of his love for Mary. I, I think this feeling that he's expressing, this one time in Scripture where we find Jesus weeping, and we connect so much with that because it demonstrates his love for Lazarus and for Mary who's weeping and for those Jews even who are weeping. But particularly, I think, for those that he loved so greatly with this, this deep love and had this companionship and this relationship with, and he weeps with them. And this is the very thing that would have been a temptation to Jesus, to, to heal Lazarus rather than to allow God to reveal this new truth. And so he weeps with them. Even though he knew that God was going to raise Lazarus, he weeps with them. He has feeling for them. This is a passion for them, not, a, not, a, uh, not, a, not tears of uh, uh, death, you know, not, not tears that come as, as a man grieving about someone dying. This is tears out of love for Mary who comes and weeps. I love this because Jesus waits for the Father's timing to bring Lazarus to life which caused the Jews to be perplexed. They didn't understand it. They, he loved him. Why didn't he heal him? He's healed other people. Why didn't he come? Because he loves him, doesn't he? What's up? And this is the big setup for Jesus. <laughs> you see how everything's leading to this, this wonderful moment of revelation. So in verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, there's going to be an odor because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Uh, Man, this is is such good stuff this morning. Particularly on the timing of this move of God. The timing of Jesus' raising Lazarus from the dead. That moment was in the exact moment it needed to be. And and we need to understand that, that when we're sitting in the middle of a struggle that we don't understand and we pray and ask God, and, and God sometimes does give us his purpose, sometimes he doesn't, but we're sitting in that moment and we're asking God about the moment and God is, that God's timing is always perfect. You know, we're, we're so always wanting to get out of the struggle, get out of the struggle, hurry, get us out of the struggle. But until we're good and dead, then it may be you fixing the problem. It may be you stepping in and taking care of things. Until you're good and dead, and until you're really at the end of yourself, and there's no other option other than God coming in and rescuing you from that moment and revealing the fact that He is the resurrection and the life. It's so easy for us to doubt whether that was God or whether it was us. You know, I, I, did, I did some extra work, so I got some extra money. And, you know, well, I, I, you know I, I went out because I had to be responsible and I found something to do and I made enough money to pay my light bill. Or I have no other way to do it. 
and God steps in and takes care of business. Most of y'all know this story, but Talitha and I, when we were in seminary, we were at the end of ourselves financially. We got to the bottom. I'm talking, there was no more money. I had a whole month where I had no work. And I went to, to preach for two youth camps, and I came back with a good check and paid everything, I thought. And there was a bill at the end of the, from the seminary, a letter from the seminary, that uh, I was hoping would be a letter of encouragement to say, we're just so glad that you guys are in seminary. You know, hope you're having a good day. Come get a cup of coffee on us at the coffee shop. It was not. It was a bill that said, if you don't pay this by three days from now, then you're going to be in, disenrolled from school and kicked out of campus housing. That probably wasn't that severe, but that's what it sounded like as it echoed in my brain. And so we had no other option. I, there was nothing I could do in three days to pay that enormous bill off, enormous to us at the time. It might have been $5, but it was enormous to us at the time. No, it was big. And so we got to the end of ourselves, and so I and I lay in the bed that night watching our ceiling fan, just hopeless, and my brain rushing, moving around trying to figure out, what am I going to do to fix this problem? And the reality was God was bringing me to this timing where I couldn't fix the problem. The, the, the timing didn't allow for it. And if I had tried to, if I had had time, I would have fixed it myself. But God brought me to the place where I had to wait on his timing. And, and he spoke a word that night to Talitha and I through a book that I was reading. And when he spoke it, it was so clear. He said, when you come to a crisis of belief, what you do next tells what you believe about God. <laughs> and so we just kind of checked up. And, I, and we asked each other, what do we believe about God? And both of us said, God can take care of this. We believe that about God. And then, so then let's act on what we believe. Let's don't tell anybody. Let's just pray and let God do it. Now that, y'all, are y'all feeling kind of the tension of that? I didn't want to do that. I still want to try and figure out ways to do it, but we did. And my peace immediately came. This problem was not resolved yet, but God had spoken to us. And we had a word from him that we knew was from the Holy Spirit, and we rested in it. That was on a Friday or Saturday. Monday morning, my dad knocks on the door, and he lives three hours away, and it was like 5.30 in the morning, which sounds weird, but that's my dad too. But it is weird. He was so excited because though they didn't have money to help us, very seldom ever had any extra money to, to do anything to help us. Sometimes we'd bring groceries and things like that. And we had already borrowed what we could from them, and they were tapped out, and so were we. We had already done all we could do. And it was starting to stink. It was so dead, our financial situation. My dad knocks on the door and so excited about taking me to the coffee shop and telling me without my prompting, we didn't tell him anything about our condition. We smiled. We had peace. We had no intention that he had come to take care of anything financially for us because he was not that guy. And he asked me over coffee, how much do y'all owe in your school bill? And I told him, he says, I'm going to pay it off today. And I said, how? And I don't remember what he said. I just remember some unexpected money came from some unexpected source. And there, there was that money. And God put it on their hearts to, to give us that money to pay off our school, not knowing outside of the Holy Spirit communicating, not knowing at all what our condition was. And our bill was paid off and we stayed in school. Now, if that timing had not happened the way it happened, I can tell you, my life has been radically transformed by that moment. 
I have never, and you guys know this, I have never doubted God financially. My wife and I walk in security financially, and we don't spend sparingly. We spend our money as we feel like God leads us to spend it. We don't worry about the next paycheck. And, and, and that has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that God has revealed himself to us in our finances. All right, so I'm, I'm closing out. Everybody with me? Stay with me a few more seconds because you need to respond to this today. This is not a message on finances. This is a message on the resurrection and the life that can only and will only act in his time and, in, and when death happens. If you're still trying to hold on to something, you're still trying to control it, you've got some area of your life that you just cannot find peace in, and you're constantly trying to find peace yourself by making peace come, then, then you are not dead yet. And, and you need to be dead four days so that you're good and dead. You need to be at a place where there is no chance, where everybody's going, oof, something stinks. You, your faith in God right now is causing your financial situation to stink. And then God comes through and says, yeah, watch this. And he grabs the attention of everybody that's watching you. And, and they're all watching now. They're, he brings them in, all these people around you that have been hiding with you in your house. They're all coming with you, and he does that. And he brings you to that point, and you have an opportunity to reveal that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, yes, there's m- much here regarding the resurrection and the life that he is and this is a foreshadowing of who he is going what he's going to do on the cross okay everybody gets that but what is what are they finding out about him in this moment they're finding out that jesus takes dead things and brings them to life by his power and i don't know if they got this message or not i don't think they did but we can we can get this message that you need to start working on dying Dying to resolving your own circumstances in life. Dying to try and fix your life or reach your goals. Or dying to, to trying to be somebody. You need to die to all that stuff. And the quicker you get dead, good and dead, then the Holy Spirit will come in and will bring life to those areas of your life. And you will be content and joyful and peaceful. Some of you today, it's, it is your finances. More people than not because the love of money is the root of all evil. And it is. And, and it controls us. And, and we're always worried and anxious when money's not there. It's not enough. And, and yet if we just looked around, we would see that God has always provided. You know, some of you, it's in the area of your marriage, in your relationship with your spouse. Or some of you, it's in relationship to, to your children and promises that God's given you for your children. And, and, you, and you just don't see it yet. The circumstances are not revealing that. It looks like, it looks like they're, they're dying instead of coming to life. And those things are work in concert with one another. God brings things to death before he brings them to life. The ministry of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, uh, particularly in Matthew chapter 5, but in the Sermon on the Mount where he's preaching, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And he adds severity to the old teachings of Moses that nobody was able to keep. And ultimately says this statement in the end of it, he says, I tell you the truth, if you're guilty of one of these, you're uh, breaking one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking all of them. Now what you going to say? What we need to say is, I'm dead. <laughs> okay, I'm dead. 
And some of us are, man. We're really, we are. We have died so much, but we need to be good and dead. We need to start stinking around here before the Holy Spirit's going to come in and really bring those things to life in a way that we know it's God, it's not us. That God will come in and give you that job that you need, that you didn't know that you needed, but you need it and because you finally gave up on trying to find one yourself. Or that God takes care of your kids because you quit trying to fix them yourself. That God takes care of your marriage because you quit trying to find some self-help plan and read enough books to figure it out and follow all these patterns that man has given and instead just trusting the Holy Spirit to lead you in what to do and to, to change your heart towards your spouse. Pick an area. You know what your area is. And Jesus wants to bring us to the end of ourselves today. And there's a watching world around us that will also find the, the heart of Jesus reaching out to them to, to teach them who he is. And this, this community desperately needs to see Christians who, who will die to themselves in all these areas and, and have the resurrection life of Christ being displayed in the way we live so that the name of Jesus will be glorified. What a wonderful name it is. We're, we're discovering that as we read you know, and as we study these passages, we're seeing the character of Christ. What a wonderful name it is. We need to get that in our hearts. Let it make its way into our thinking and ultimately make its way into our lives. And, and we need to display the love of Christ and the person of Christ. So when people see your life, do they see Jesus? When they see your life, do they see your accomplishments? Do they see something man can do? When they see your life... Do they see good principles and logical ways of living, or do they see Christ? That's the question today. So let's pray and ask the Lord. Lord, we are reluctant disciples. We, we are hard-headed disciples. We laugh at your disciples in this story because we are them. We find ourselves there. We hear you, but we don't understand. And we know, Lord, that the only way we're ever going to understand is when we connect your love for us and the Father's will, regardless of how hard it seems. When we connect those two things in a way that causes us to trust you and walk in faith in the places where we're not dead. So I pray for that today. I pray that you will help us today to die, knowing that the safest place to be is in the Father's will. Father, we need that. This community needs that. We have people who are sitting around us, grieving with us, who need to know the answer to grief is death and life. We don't always get to know your purposes. The purpose of your activity in this world and in our lives. Lord, when you do reveal it, I pray that we'll embrace it and we'll walk in what we know is your will. And walk in what we know is, is, a, is your plan, even though we can't see it coming about. But Father, when we can, we thank you for the blessing. When you do show your purpose to us. Father, help us to trust your timing today. Help us to work with you. God, reveal to us the areas of our life that we need to surrender to you. Father, I pray that 
the stench of our death would be a fragrant aroma to you uh, today as we as we lift our prayers to you God prayers from sincere hearts and Father that you would return to us God dancing for our morning that we would smell the fragrance of Christ today that we would experience the beauty of the Holy Spirit moving and working in us and we would recognize and know in, in every area of our lives, God, that whatever we surrender to you, wherever we die, there's life waiting. <laughs> Reveal that to us today. We pray in Jesus' name.